nothing more dangerous than an old person with new technology. I set up some kind of alert on my Sports Center app last night, and it's it's just you know been going off. You know, we don't know how to turn it off. Of course, the volume is off on this thing. It shouldn't make any noise. Okay, progress, not perfection. So, uh, <laughs> I, I, I think I'm just going to kind of pick up where we left off a little bit uh, and ad- address your question about um, kind of the correlations with the steps because that, that feels like my job. So, um, and, and again, it's going on that. Um, so, I'm just going to I'm going to go back back to. Um, Step two, and let's just say, you know, step two is kind of the expression of faith in the possibility of change. And this, this is, um, in, in Buddhism, this correlates to the uh, third noble truth. The first noble truth is the truth that there is suffering. The second noble truth is the, the cause of that suffering. The third noble truth is the fact that it's possible to end suffering. So it's, there's a sense of confidence or trust or belief that comes with that. So again, we kind of see this as part of any path of change, any process of change, is that there has to be belief in a process. If we don't believe that something will work, then we're not going to engage it, and we're certainly not going to engage in it fully. So step two uh, uh, expresses that, I think, on s- some fundamental level, and and as I say, in Buddhism, that's kind of correlates to the Third Noble Truth. And it's also worth noting that in Buddhism, faith is considered to be one of the five spiritual powers or faculties. So it has a special place as a, a, a source of power, higher power, maybe. So the five spiritual powers are mindfulness, concentration, wisdom, energy, and faith. So just to make that connection, so then step three is is engaging in the process, beginning the engagement of pro- in the process of change, making the decision to to commit ourselves to turn our lives over to this process or to these powers. Um, and as as you know, there are many ways that I talk about higher power, and that's something I'm going to address. Hopefully I will get to step six and seven tonight. That's my intention, and I will talk about that in a particular way. And I'd like to actually go back and look at some of the some of the things that are kind of my source material for that. But uh, just to kind of compl- I want to kind of just talk our way up to that point right now. So one of the things that strikes me as interesting about the steps is that if you took step three literally that we turned our, our lives over to the care of God, then that would be the last step. Because if God was going to take care of everything, then we don't have anything else to do. But quite uh, the opposite of that is actually what happens, which is then we get into the real work, the, the, some of the greatest challenges of the t- step process, the inventory. So why does step four follow step three? Uh, I have a theory. 
I've never actually heard anyone address that question at all. Uh, and maybe I've missed something. But um, what I, be- I believe that the reason that step four, which says we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves, follows the step in which we make a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God, is that in making a decision, we are only deciding that we want to change, that we're committed to change. But that process of change is going to require us to, first of all, see what it is that needs to change. Because it's not enough to just say, well, I want to change. We have to see. Because essentially what we're dealing with is an accumulated, what we would call in Buddhism, karma, or just habitual tendencies, behavioral tendencies, mental tendencies, beliefs, emotional tendencies, tendencies to fall into certain emotional reactions to things. All these things are deeply ingrained in us. And while we may have stopped using our drug of choice, whatever was behind us becoming that person who was addicted in one way or another has not really been addressed yet in the steps. And that doesn't just go away because we decide to stop using something. So the, the implication of the steps is that there's a lot of work, a lot more work to do than just stopping. Step one is about stopping. And if that's all we needed to do, then there would only be one step. The other 11 steps are, what am I supposed to do now that I have stopped? How am I supposed to maintain that stoppage? So step four is the beginning of a process of turning the battleship, you know, the kind of idea that, you know, battleships take a long time to turn. They're, they don't just, you don't just uh, put on your blinker and, you know, turn down the alley. It's this massive thing, which is we could call our ego or our conditioning or, you know, our personality, all that stuff that has to be addressed and dealt with. So step four is the initial part of that process of finding out what the landscape is. What is, the, what is this stuff we're talking about? Step five, we share that, we share the nature of those wrongs, as it says, with a trusted person, which is a really important part of the process because as long as it's just in our heads or it's just on our little journal, then... Um, we're, we, well, first of all, it's it's still I, and it's um, and we kind of have our own understanding of it, uh, but it's also you know still hidden, and those secrets are so dangerous uh, because they tend to turn back on us, and they and the fear of being revealed, or that the feeling that we need to protect ourselves. Uh, is really one of the things that keeps us from changing. So we share that with someone who really works as, uh, can reflect back to us what we've said, can really give us perspective, which we desperately need on our own inventory, because it's really hard to have perspective on your own inventory. So that that critical part gives us perspective and also helps us, you know, this wise person, whether it's a sponsor or someone else, 
one of their jobs is to point out the things in there that actually should be dealt with and the things that are really not that important that, you know, you might think, well, this is my worst, that's not, you know, that oftentimes we have a distorted view of ourselves, and that's why it's so important to get this reflection back from someone. So then, we've kind of got an idea, okay, here's the stuff. Step six is being ready to change, which uh, is a whole process in and of itself. Uh, And it's really interesting to explore that resistance that we often encounter at this point. Um, Oh, I was supposed to be correlating, sorry. Let me go back to step four and bring up the correlation there. So uh, the the obvious correlations with with this moral inventory in Buddhism are uh, the five precepts, of course, because that's the moral foundation of Buddhism, and that's part of the Eightfold Path. Um, But as I have also said, meditation itself is a kind of inventory of the heart and mind, so that we, as we uh, turn inward, we start to see all these habits of mind. So the five hindrances are another way of thinking about an inventory, a meditative inventory. Desire, aversion, sleepiness, restlessness, doubt. Um, We can also do a positive inventory, and all these things are in my books, and you know, many of you have probably already looked at some of that stuff. So, uh, so obviously, just the, the larger point is that obviously Buddhism is also about exploring the content as well as the bigger question, as I was talking about during the meditation, of the, the sort of uh, f- uh, uh, form that... that like thoughts and feelings take in the sense that they are impermanent, they are impersonal, and they're unsatisfactory. The three characteristics. So, uh, so this is so investigation. So another corollary then is one of the seven factors of enlightenment. List, 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 list. Seven factors um, is investigation. Investigation of states. Or, you know, so this mindfulness is an investigative process. So absolutely, to me, meditation is a kind of inventory. I don't find a lot of corollaries with step five in Buddhism, and, and, it, and I think it's one of the things that, that uh, is so strong in the 12-step world, that is sharing, you know, t- talking with others about our stuff, uh, and is somewhat overlooked in the Buddhist world. So uh, the... The obvious corollary is just right speech, you know. So, um, and then there are um, actual rituals in the monastic community uh, where they uh, confess the precepts that they've broken, or, and they do that uh, on a on a schedule. A lunar they work on a lunar calendar, so they do that at different sizes of the moon, phases of the moon. Um, so step six, and I'm just going to go up to step seven here. So step six, being entirely ready, the corollary with Buddhism there is setting intention, or being clear about our intention. Excuse me. 
haven't said this to this class. I've said it to uh, I said it so often that it's hard for me to remember who I haven't have said it to. One of the things the Buddha said about karma is that the results of karma are conditioned by the nature of the intention that drove the action. So the word karma simply means action. But the Buddha, as he did, and and this is one of his little moves that he would do, he would take a word that was uh, had a standard meaning in in his culture at the time, and then he would put his own twist on it. And so he said at one point, karma is intention. That's a somewhat of a radical statement. If if you are, you know, I don't know. To me, it's somewhat radical because we think of. I mean, in in our culture, this word karma, you know, has kind of been misinterpreted to mean fate. It doesn't mean fate, but we talk about karma as fate because usually when we're talking about karma, we're actually talking about the results of actions, which are called karmic resultants in the uh, technical term. So uh, but karmic resultants aren't fate. They are things that happen because of earlier intentional actions. So the point is that the 12 steps recognize that intention comes before action. And you see that actually in several of the steps. Step three includes intention when it says we turn our will and our lives over. It's not just our actions, but it's our, the will that's the motivation behind them. Step six, entirely ready to have these defects of character, and to have God remove these defects of character, means that there is a setting of intention. And then step eight states it quite explicitly. We were, um, made a list of those we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them. So each of these show the the intuitive understanding of the people who wrote the steps, <laughs> that intention is a vital part of action. So then step seven says, we humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. So uh, uh, again, I'm going to talk more about this step uh, tonight. Uh, but uh, just to say that this one really takes, we have to completely uh, throw out the language of the step, I think in order to understand it, that, that this step is about transformation and, ha- and how does transformation happen. And that's, that's kind of, to me, the key question. And steps six and seven, which lie in the exact middle of the steps, are the turning point of, of the steps in terms of our, our transformation. They're the place where the, where the work is done and where the work is repeatedly done. Uh, and from the, well, I guess since I'm there, I'll talk about um, the the place where um, you know I got the most useful understanding from a Buddhist about um, how to understand the word God is from Ajahn Buddhadasa. Um, and I'll, I'll explain who he is, but one of the, one of the things he says is that um, 
what we're doing when we're asking God to help us or to do something in this. He says, we're beseeching the law of karma through our actions, not merely with words. So what he means is that, you know, if we want change, we have to take action. And that's, of course, a fundamental principle of 12-step work. (laughs) Even though the 12 steps talk about our reliance on God, they also constantly point us back to taking the actions, right? There's no sort of sitting back and waiting, okay, I asked you, God, come on, come through for me. That's not at all the the way the 12 steps work. Uh, As I say, despite people's sort of claim that they're just relying on God, um, I don't know where they get that idea. But, um, so, um, I'd like to spend some time with Buddha Dasa tonight because I was, I was going back over some of the things that, uh, some, as I said, some of my source material for this, and I just find it so uh, so fascinating. But I'm going to do that after the break. So um, does that help with some of the corollary stuff? Good. Glad that helps. So and and uh, you know I, I obviously I'm not saying it talking about all that stuff just for you. I think it's really important to just keep me on track a little bit, you know. I tend to like to take side trips. So, uh, before we do take a break, any questions or sort of thoughts and reflections on any of that kind of, that was kind of like a data dump there, you know, Dharma dump. I don't like to put those words together. The one point that really struck me that you made about um, the third step being making a decision, um, the the process that occurs after making that decision of continuing to work the steps is what ends up turning our will and our lives over to the care of this process mm-hmm. that is transformative. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, and it goes and it continues throughout our lifetime. Yeah, of of this. So it's, you know, you, you come to a point where you sort of, you make this decision that, yeah, this is what I'm committed to mm-hmm. and this is what I'm going to do. And that came for me when I w- was working my third step and it came... For me, at a, at a certain point in my meditation practice and in my study of Buddhism, where I made the decision that, yeah, I'm not investigating this anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, this is yeah. this is something that I'm committed to. Yeah. And I'm I'm um, what's what I'm going to do now. Yeah. And you know, you keep on doing that, and that so that becomes the 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 turning your will and and your life over to the care of yeah. this process yeah. and, uh, and I, you know uh, you know and that's that's why I spend a lot of time talking about commitment when I talk about step three so I do think it's and it's that commitment without the commitment nothing's really going to happen because we're going to find a way out it's just like getting married you know, I mean, it's it's actually easier to get out of being married than it is out of working the steps, because you know, 
Well, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. You can't just like you know, get divorced from the steps, you know. You, but um, yeah, you might not die if you get out of your marriage. Right. Exactly. That was sort of what I was getting at. Yeah. Exactly. You might. Um, boy, there was something else I was going to say there, but uh, it was a joke, so I'll pass it. Um, yeah, yeah, actually, someone else back your hand up, didn't you? I did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, I did want to share. Um, my name's Kat, and I am an alcoholic. Um, You're in the right place. <laughs> One of the right places. Let's put it that way. I think that you know there there's so much weight in the fifth step, and I've heard before that if you don't do the fifth step, you're going to drink. <laughs> and you know, you're only going to drink if you drink. But anyway, go, moving right ahead. So, but I feel that there's so much in 6 and 7 with highlighting your assets. and yeah. you, know, these, you talked about last week in the language with deficiencies or somebody else. It's, it has a negative connotation. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my sponsor, she's a Buddhist, and she does highlight the positives and, mm-hmm. and the assets right. as well and it says in, in the book and in the 12 and 12 and there's a lot of different words that they use but um, I do feel you know intention and actions are I mean that is where the change starts to happen and and that you know fourth dimensional plane of, of mm-hmm. really changing not who you are so to speak but but our, our actions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I know for so long, I, I've been sober for six years, but um, in the program for 12, and it's always been, you're going to drink after the fifth step. And I'm, I'm like, so why, why did people put that? So you're saying that you don't, haven't done it, you don't, it's just. No, I've done it. You don't. I'm, I'm working, I mean, I'm still. I just wasn't clear if there was some like concern you had about the fifth step, other than what people, the little curses, I call them AA curses, yeah. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that they'll give you, you know. And I, and I just think that stuff is absurd and, and extremely unhelpful. Um, because if you've been around long enough, you've seen people do it all wrong and stay sober, and you've seen people do it all right and drink. Yeah. It's not, it just, it, it's, it's about picking up that drink. It's right. not, there's, if there was some magical protection, you know, just do this, say these words, do this step, and you'll never drink, you know, it'd be easy, but it's not, that isn't the reality. Mm-hmm. You know. um, yeah, Nancy, what did you have? Well, if, if she was, she brought up in the discussion, was that what I was going to say is that just this simple language in step seven is kind of a downer remove our shortcomings yeah, yeah. and say, but your book addresses, go, you know, acknowledge your positive qualities, yeah. that you're good ones. It's, you know, yeah, you've been depressed and down and you've had all your reasons to drink or drug or whatever, but you're not all bad. 
right. it's just a sort of a downer, the way it's phrased. And I, that's yeah. why I like your book. Well, I, they do, uh, as Kat mentioned, refer, there is some positive language in the 12-step literature, but not in, in the step itself. That's not, there's not much room for that. And the, you know, a lot of people object to the idea that it's a defective character. What, what I, I particularly have difficulty with that language because to me the term character sounds like something solid uh, that can't really change. And, and so I, don't, I certainly don't see us as being that um, limited. You know, I, I think we have, I mean, Jack Cornfield talks about a temperament that we have t- so a temperament or tendencies that we have. But I, uh, uh, what, I, what I think is also important, though, is to not uh, lose, you know, lose the forest for the trees, that is, to, uh, to see that there's a process here that's important, which is to look at this stuff that's problematic <laughs> in, uh, for, uh, that we carry, shall I say and that definitely needs to be addressed. And, as you both have said, that's not the whole of who we are. So, and, and many of us, I think, uh, you know, can get burdened by that if, if we don't remind ourselves that there's other aspects of ourselves. And, and I do think that, uh, you know, certain of the emphases, I mean, one of my other little riffs here I'll give you, is that, you know, a lot of the, uh, there's kind of a, a model of what an addict or an alcoholic is, and supposedly we all are the same in some way, it's, and the, and the tr- 12 steps and, and some of the literature kind of address, like, these certain things that we all have to, and, uh, 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 and that we all are supposedly and that we all have these certain qualities and that they all need to be addressed. And if you look at them, a lot of them are just who Bill Wilson was. <laughs> and they, and it winds up like we're all supposed... And Bill Wilson was somebody who sort of had this grandiose idea of himself and was you know, very into self-promotion and all that. And so he really emphasized humility... And he saw that he really needed that, and and the, this inventory, like he had to keep kind of being really careful with himself. And there's a lot of people who come to recovery who are just almost the opposite of that, who need more building up than they need cutting down. And they're told they have to keep telling all the bad things, and, you know, and every day, write it down, what did you do wrong today, you know. And it, and it can become this really... A negative thing that doesn't that's not going to work. So, uh, to me, it's more understanding the spirit of it, which is self-examination and questioning. And and and, and you know, the beautiful thing about the Buddhist teachings is that we can really apply that that addicts, generally speaking, could probably use is the idea of a middle way, which is kind of finding balance. What's wait a minute? All I'm doing is tearing myself down. Or is building myself up. Am I overlooking some shadow side, or am I, you know, am I overlooking my good qualities? You know, so nobody's 100% anything. So that middle way, uh, you know, that's I even kind of bring that to my teaching a lot. When it when I feel like I'm kind of getting over on one side, I kind of try to bring it back and make sure we keep a balance with things. Somebody just wrote me an email this week about a, a, 
a, a reference I have in Burning Desire where the Buddha says at a certain point that if you're Negative thoughts are, to- are, you know, really destructive thoughts and thoughts of lust are, are really out of control. You need to beat them down. And, and he was like, that seems really un- uncharacteristic of the Buddha. I said, yes, that's why I put it in the book. Because I like that because it, it gives people like a, a different view. Like, oh, I thought Buddhism was all about like peace and just accept everything and just breathe. It's like, yeah, but if things are out of control, you know, you need to step up and do something. We don't just sit there and go, oh yeah, I just really, you know, some heroin would really be good. It's like, no, you know, I need to fight that, you know. And and so, um, you know, that was the Buddha kind of bringing in some balance to some of the mellowness of the teachings, maybe. So we barely have time to have a break. So let's take a short break. And then uh, we'll come back and chug on. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.